Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. Amen. Thank you guys. Good morning. Buenos dias. Greetings to our live stream and podcast families out there in the world of the worldwide web. Remember when it used to be called that? You guys know that's what WWW means, right? Well, if you didn't, now you do. <laughs> it's my privilege to uh, share the word with you this morning, the word of God. As usual, you can um, follow along the outline of today's message through your Bible app. Or if you'd prefer a printed outline, you can grab one from the box there in the back. Now this morning as we continue to press into Christology, don't put it on the screen. Who can, who can, from memory, give me our verse, our 2023 memory verse? Don't all rush at it at the same time. All right. Let's go with Lieutenant Dan. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Revelation 1.8. Did he get it? Very good. ¿Quién puede decirlo en español? Nuestro versículo del año. No, 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 no. Yo no voy a seguir hasta que alguien pueda. No, tú, tú no cuentas. Tú eres la pastora. Okay. 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 Yo soy el alfa, el omega, el principio y el fin. Apocalipsis 1.8. Hey. Very good. Now let's do it all together. Let's do it in English first. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Revelation, Revelation 180. En español, yo soy el Alpha y la Omega, el principio y el fin, Apocalipsis 1.8, right? And because he is the beginning and the end, that's Jesus, right? This year, as we read through the Bible together, we are... Finding Jesus cover to cover. We might need to try that one again. This year we are finding Jesus from cover to cover. A leer la Biblia este año estamos. Eso. Why? Because Christ is God's logos, right? Say logos. He is the ology, right? He's the reason Why? That's what ology means. Christ is the reason why. And that's why we are finding Jesus from cover to cover as we read through the Bible together this year. And, you know, so far, you guys, we're already in the middle of March, and we are still in Genesis. We're still in cover. How are we going to get to cover? We'll see how this all shakes out, right? But we're discovering Christ as we read through his word. And again, we've mostly been in Genesis so far. Come on, we've seen Christ is the word of God in creation. He is, we see Christ crucified uh, in the fall, right? And the one who is going to, who has already actually crushed the head of the serpent. We see Christ in Abel, the offering of Abel. We see Christ in Noah's ark. We see Christ at the Tower of Babel. We see Christ through Abraham. We see Christ through the uh, offering of Isaac. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Christ in Jacob's 
ladder. Very good. Christ is Jacob's ladder. And today, the saga continues, right? But first, first, before we actually finish Genesis today, hallelujahs, right? <laughs> Have you ever gone through something bad that ended up working out for your good? Have you ever had bad luck that turned out to be good for you? How about a bad person that intended to harm you, but somehow it got turned around on them and it ended up being for your good? Right? Does that ever happen? We can probably all say that we at least know of a situation that seemed bad, but it somehow worked out for good. You know, I can think, I don't know what you can think of in your own life, but I, I can think that back in two, uh, 2018 and 2018, my mother-in-law, Letty, she was uh, trying to jump over a puddle and ended up falling over that puddle and shattering her hip, right? It was a really, really bad day for our family. In fact, the day got worse. As if that wasn't bad enough, it got worse. Uh, we found out through this fall, that she had a very rare type of cancer, blood cancer, okay? That was why her bones were so weak, and that's why her hips shattered when she just fell over a puddle. Okay, so how many of you can agree that's bad? That's really bad. Not only a shattered hip, but cancer in the blood. Well, the reality is this type of cancer that she had is almost undetectable until it's too late, right? So the actual bad thing, falling and shattering her hip, caused us to discover that she had, it was early detection of this type of cancer, which through lots of prayer and lots of, I don't have time to go back through it all, but lots of supernatural provision, she was able to get all the treatment that she needed, and now today, for a while now, she's been totally cancer-free, right? Come on, somebody, say bad to good. I think about the situation, you know, you, you hear us talk a lot about Cuba. We go to Cuba. We have an ongoing ministry uh, in Cuba. And Cuba is and has been for a very long time going through uh, what we would consider a famine, right? There's such a food shortage. People are going hungry. Uh, and it's a really bad situation. How many of you have actually been to Cuba with us? All right, we're planning a big family trip, a big encounter family trip this coming Christmas, I believe it's going to be the biggest ever, okay? But I want to tell you that this terrible situation of hunger in Cuba, what that's actually done is it's opened the opportunity for many families to receive the gospel through feeding their children. So what's a bad situation is somehow working out for good. Many, many children and families are receiving the good news and coming into the kingdom of God, all right? In fact, just yesterday, we, we got word and pictures and videos of the first big kids feeding an event downtown Havana, all right? This is the first time they've been able to do that, and they're beginning to reach so many new families, and um, we'll have photos and, pic- and videos of that for you coming up soon, right? Come on, somebody, say bad to good. So let's pick up back in Genesis, and today I'm really going to need your help, okay? Do you think you can help me out just a little bit? So last time I I, I taught you guys, we saw Christ through Jacob, in fact, through uh, the, the encounter Jacob had with God, where he saw the stairway into heaven, right, the ladder, and through a series of encounters with 
the Lord, with Yahweh, with God, right? God renames Jacob, right? What is his new name? Israel, right? And Israel has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. The lineage which God had chosen to supernaturally protect, preserve, deliver, have mercy upon mercy upon mercy on, right, through their unfaithfulness and their idolatry and their occasional turning back to him, he chose the lineage of Israel through whom the Savior, the Christ, would come, right? Okay, so we go, Jacob, Israel, 12 sons, 12 tribes, and eventually we get to Christ, okay? Um, And then Jacob... Uh, has one son that pleases him the most. In fact, he loves him so much, he gives him a very special gift, a colorful robe, right? Anybody know who we're talking about? All right. I told you I'm going to need your help today. All right. Are you with me? Are we trekking? All right. We're, we're, we're to Joseph. Jacob really loves Joseph and gives him a special gift that uh, he doesn't, you know, give his other sons. And so there's a little bit of uh, tension there. And I don't know if anybody's ever been a part of a family where there's a favorite, but it happens, right? It happens, right? Not necessarily supposed to be that way, but it happens. Maybe you are the favorite, or maybe you're jealous of the favorite. <laughs> but there was a lot of, of, of jealousy because Joseph was sort of the favorite. And we know that, that Joseph is a dreamer, right? We read the story of Joseph, and he's a dreamer, but I'm not just talking about that he has dreams, as in God speaks to him through dreams and actually predicts the future through Joseph's dreams, right? And he, he not only has dreams, but he has a special ability to interpret dreams, okay? And so Joseph, as a young man, you know, he's immature and he's imprudent. He shares his dreams with maybe some of the wrong folks, right? I'm thinking that maybe those original dreams Joseph had, which was like that that they were going to come down and bow down before him, right? Maybe should have kept that just with mom and dad. But he decided to share that with all of them and, you know, the the brothers that already didn't like him very much because he was the fave, right? They really didn't like him now, okay? And so they really despise Joseph. They're very jealous of him. And one day, Israel tells Joseph to go out and check on his brothers. They're out caring for the the animals. And they decide to what? To kill him. They decide to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. Right? They wanted to get rid of Joseph. But after talking amongst themselves, they decide to pretend he's killed. Right? Remember the story? They decide, instead of us killing him, let's pretend he's killed. We're going to throw him in a pit. We're going to kill a wild animal. We're going to stain, you know, tear up the robe and put blood on it and and bring it back to dad. And we're going to pretend that he's killed, right? And so that's kind of what they do. But something happens that when they're in the middle of doing this, some Merchants come along, some traders come along, and they decide, well, let's sell him, right? Let's sell him into slavery. So this 
I could give you a whole entire message on, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to point it out. Remember that Jesus' own people, the Jews, wanted to get rid of him. But instead of doing it themselves, they decided to hand him over for somebody else to get the job done. Remember, they handed him over to the Romans. They betrayed him. This is just what happened to Joseph. They wanted to get rid of him, but instead of having the pants to get it done themselves, they turned him over. They handed him over, right? Come on, somebody. Are you seeing Jesus already? So where, what, what happens? They, they, they sell him as a slave, and he ends up in Egypt. Very good. So we have some historians here, or at least you've read the Bible. All right. Joseph ends up in Egypt where, this is the great thing, the whole time God is with him. God is with him the whole time in Egypt, okay? And a lot of things happen. (laughs) When he gets there, he's sold to a very powerful man named Potiphar, who has a wife who is fill in the blank. The H word. And she just insists that she's going to get her some Joseph, right? And Joseph is like, what, you know, sorry that I say this every time, but she says, sleep with me, Joseph. And he says, I'm not sleepy, right? I guess y'all didn't get it the last time. Okay. He says, no, how could I sin against my my master, my boss, but even more, how could I sin against my God? Right? You're married. Which, by the way, that continues to be not okay. Right? It's called adultery. So she was trying to get him into adultery. He said no. But she accused him of trying to fool around with her. And so when Potiphar comes back, they throw him into jail, right? They throw him into Egyptian prison. But in the prison, God is with him. And God blesses him. And they even promote him as like the head of the prison, right? He, he, he's over the other prisoners. And then, long story short, two of the prisoners, they're there. They're Pharaoh's servants. They have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams. Then they get out and they forget about him, right? But eventually, eventually, because of what I'm about to tell you about, Joseph's dream gifts get him out of jail, right? Joseph's dream gifts get him out of jail. And eventually, God doesn't just deliver him from jail and bring him back into freedom, but God promotes him to the highest position of authority under Pharaoh in all of Egypt. He becomes the prince of Egypt, the prime minister of Egypt, right? So long story short, I know that was already a lot. But while Joseph is in prison, Pharaoh has a dream, right? And Pharaoh dreams of cows and wheat and all of this, and he doesn't know what to do about it, but he's frightened by it, so he calls upon the magicians and all the people to come and tell me my dream and tell me what it means. Come on, how'd you like to be put in that spot? I want you to tell me my dream and tell me what it means. 
And they're like, hello, Pharaoh, no one can do that. Just tell us the dream, and then we'll tell you what it means. No, 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 I know you're messing with me. Tell me the dream and what it means. And they're like, nobody can do that. And Pharaoh's like, kill them all. And they're like, wait! (laughs) There's this one guy in prison. They remembered, right? There's this one guy in prison, and he can interpret dreams. The spirit, they say, the spirit of the holy God is in him, right? Okay, and so they call on Joseph. Joseph believes God and asks God to give him the dream and the meaning. So Joseph dreams the same dream Pharaoh has. And then God gives him the interpretation of the dream. And we know the interpretation of the dream is that there are going to be seven years of prosperity. But after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. Right? So bad. The, the, the dream. God shows him through the dream. The famine's going to be so bad that you're going to forget the years of prosperity. Right? It's a very dangerous time that is ahead. But not only does Joseph interpret the dream, but the Lord gives him a plan to somehow save everybody when the famine comes. He, he, he has the plan, all right? During the seven years of prosperity, let's gather a, a part of all the crops and we're going to store them up so that when the seven years of famine come, we will have food to give the people, all right? Remember? If you've never heard that story, now you did. All right, go back and read it. It's in the, 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 the end of Genesis, okay? Now this is the, the crazy thing. Not only did the famine affect Egypt, but it affected all the region around Egypt, including Canaan, okay? Which is where who lived? Jacob and all his awful brothers, right? I mean, sons, Joseph's awful brothers, right? They all lived in Canaan. And so, again, third long story short, (laughs) Israel sends ten of the brothers... To Egypt to go get food, bring back food. If not, they're going to starve. That's how bad the famine became. They're going to starve, but they heard that somebody had a plan over in Egypt and they had food, right? Now go get food for us and bring it back. So what ends up happening is through another series of events, they realize that this is Joseph, (laughs) In Egypt, the man who's selling them food, and Joseph has his ten brothers go back to Canaan to bring back dad. What's his name? Israel, Jacob or Israel, and his little brother Benjamin that he didn't know yet, right? Okay. So they bring him, they bring all of them. In fact, Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, and his entire family. Is anybody beginning to see the importance of this? Jacob, Israel, and his entire family move to Egypt because Pharaoh says that they can and they'll, that they'll, they'll take care of them, right? So, fourth long story short, the whole family of Israel is saved from the famine. And the lineage... Through which Christ was going to come is preserved. Which, by the way, is the whole point of all of that. It wasn't so much about Joseph and Israel and the tribes as it was about God choosing a lineage through whom he could very clearly and directly point, there is the Christ. 
And this is one of many times throughout history, not because they deserved it, but because God was fulfilling his sovereign plan to bring Christ through Israel. He preserved Israel through Joseph's plan. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, we can see through this, right? So now we come right to the the final chapter of Genesis. Genesis has 50 chapters. So let's go to Genesis chapter 50. We know that just before this, Jacob dies of old age in Egypt, okay? And they take his body back to the homeland to bury him. This brings us to Genesis 50, 14. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. They said, uh, yeah, hello. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for this great wrong they did to you. For their sin in treating you so cruelly. Come on, look at me real quick. The father said, forgive them. Father said, forgive us. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we're your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Now I want us to read this next sentence together. Ready? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Hallelujah. As if the preservation of Christ's lineage weren't already a very big deal, Joseph himself in many ways is representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph represents Christ in many ways. Look at this. We can see Christ in the unjust, ready, murder of Joseph. And I already mentioned it. They didn't want to kill him themselves, so they decided to hand him over and let somebody else do that. Now, we know that because God was fulfilling his plan through Joseph, they didn't end up killing him. But he was betrayed and handed over and given up for dead, right? Does anybody know anyone else who was betrayed and handed over because they wanted to get rid of him? It's the cross right there. We see how Jesus was betrayed and handed over to get rid of him when they sent him to the cross, when they turned him over to the Romans to crucify him. Oh, but we can see Christ (laughs) in that Joseph was believed dead. But all of a sudden, Joseph is alive again. All this time, Israel thought Joseph, his beloved son, 
was dead, but he's alive. And through Joseph's resurrection, all of Israel is saved. We can see Christ in Joseph's exaltation, right? Through his suffering, Joseph becomes the prince. And we know that through Christ's suffering, he became the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? We can see Christ in God's plan to save everyone through Joseph's plan. Because it's not just about Joseph and his family. Because of Joseph's position of authority, he was able to save all of Israel, not to mention a lot of other people. (laughs) But the salvation of Israel through Joseph would eventually mean the salvation of the whole world through Jesus Christ. Joseph, in his position of authority as prince, as prime minister, as representative of Christ, in his position of all power and all authority in all the world, now as king of kings, we're all saved. I don't know about you. I don't know, we're quiet. Makes me want to shout hallelujah. (laughs) Can you see Jesus in all of this? That's why it's so amazing why Jesus marveled at his own people. You search the scriptures looking for me and you can't even see me when I'm right here in front of you. We're only in Genesis. And all of that is Jesus. It all points to Christ, the King, the Savior of the world. Let's go back to that last verse in the passage there. You intended to what? Harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me into this position so I could... Come on, let's get it back on the screen. It's the last scripture there of, uh, that we have in the Genesis 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people, right? We know that Christ was unjustly handed over and actually, in reality, murdered. He did die. See, God's plan was to preserve Joseph and Israel so that Christ could come through him and save the world, but God's plan through Christ was for Christ himself to confront and take sin and death upon himself and then rise from the grave after three days to defeat death and the power of sin forever and ever. Christ was handed over. He was, they tried to get rid of him. Like Joseph, they tried to get rid of him. But what the enemy meant for evil... God turned into the greatest event in all of history. Come on, somebody. Say bad to good. 
Satan meant to get rid of God. That's what he wanted to do. That was his intention. Satan wanted to get rid of God. But through Christ's death and resurrection, God became king of the world. He thought he was getting rid of the one who was already the rightful king. But through Jesus' death and then resurrection and exaltation back into the heavens, he is now forever king of kings and lord of lords. And now he is and will forever reign. And all of us, anyone who is in Christ, not only has the kingdom come to us, but now the kingdom comes through us. What Satan meant to harm Jesus became the salvation of many. What the enemy meant to harm Joseph became the salvation of many people. What Satan meant to harm and get rid of Christ became the salvation offered to everyone. And now Jesus is king. He is king. He is Lord. The savior of the world. Two powerful takeaways from this. From seeing Christ through Joseph. Number one. God can use anything for his good. Anything. Notice I said for his good, not for what we think is always good. Because what I think is my good is for my good, or what I think is good isn't always God's good. Come on. God can use anything for his good, which, by the way, his good's always good for us. Hello? But God can use absolutely anything for his good. For his purposes. No matter what life throws at you. It doesn't take God by surprise. I mean it has taken me by surprise sometimes. But no matter what comes. No matter what happens. No matter what gets thrown at me. It never takes him by surprise. He already knows how he's going to use it for his good. Do I trust that he can use anything for my good? Do you trust that he can use anything for your good? Even the heartache? Even the hard things? Even the difficulties? Even the pain? The suffering? The hardest things? The most painful things? The worst things? He can turn it all for good. That's his ability. We are called to just do the Joseph thing, which is trust him, and here it is, be faithful to him. Just be faithful to him. Joseph wasn't only faithful to him when he was daddy's little boy, the favorite. Joseph wasn't also only faithful to him when now he's the prince. Joseph was faithful to him, was faithful to God when he was wanted to be killed by his brothers when he was sold as a slave, when he was put in prison unjustly. Joseph was faithful. Are we faithful in the good times and the bad? And this is the thing. I can be faithful because I know that bad doesn't stay bad. Because I know 
that not because I'm good, but because God is good, he can always take bad and turn it into good. So I'll be faithful to him. I've been through some wonderful times in my life, and I've been through some very difficult times in my life. But one thing I have decided, by his grace, I will be faithful. I will walk with Jesus. I will obey him. I will stand for him. And even when I don't get it right, I'm going to get myself back up, and I'm going to keep on going. Because I know that the one that I serve is the one who loves me, and he's good. And I can trust him. And I trust him enough to be faithful. Do you trust him enough to be faithful to him? Even when you don't understand why you're thrown into that prison unjustly. Why you're being treated like you're being treated. Why that thing you're going through is so doggone painful. Will you trust him? I don't wish pain, suffering, or difficulty on any of you. But guess what? It's going to happen. There are going to be hard things in life. There are going to be painful things in life. People are going to be ugly to you. You're going to go through things that you wish you didn't have to go through. But I'll tell you, just like God was with Joseph through it all, he'll be with you if you'll be faithful to him. Trust him enough to be faithful through it. God can use anything for good. And number two, God wants to use your life to save many. God was with Joseph because he was going to use him to save many and eventually, eventually all of us. And he wants to use your life. God wants to work through you. Get this. Just like God worked through Joseph's forgiving of his brothers to preserve his family, to preserve Israel, to bring Christ. He wants to, get this very important, he wants to use your forgiveness of others to save them. Remember when Jesus said, don't just love people that love you back, love your enemies even, right? Love those that, that persecute you. I'm glad that God continued to love Saul when he was persecuting all the Christians. Because he became Paul. Hello, the apostle Paul. The great church planter. The one who took the gospel to so many Gentiles. And you and I, we are those. God's forgiveness... Brought about the salvation of many people. God can use your forgiving other people to save people. God wants to work through your love for others to save many people. Just living your life to love other people. Joseph loved his family. And because of that love, his whole family was saved. God wants to use, this is important, your obedience to save many. It's only because Joseph was faithful to stay obedient to God and not give in to sin that God was able to use his life to save many, right? (laughs) 
When you live a life of obedience, you set yourself up to be used by God to rescue and save others. God wants to use. The gifts that he's given you to save many. It was Joseph's dream gifts that helped make all this happen. Look at me. God's given you gifts. See me? Yes. <laughs> Everyone. This room is full of gifts. Innate gifts that you're born with because you were created in God's image and he put some in you. Other gifts that come because you're full of the Holy Spirit. God wants to, just like he used Joseph's dreams, dream gifts, he wants to use all the gifts in your life to save many people. Imagine if Joseph would have backed down and said, oh, I can't do that. I'm going to know Pharaoh's dream. No, but he said, Lord, use my gift. I don't know how we pray, but I'm sure it was more like, Lord. Please let me dream his dream. But you guys, we need to serve the Lord and serve people with such passion that it's like, God, please use the gifts you've given me. Please. Don't let them just be in me. Don't let me just use them for me. Please use the gifts that you've given me to reach and to bless and to help people. To save many. God wants to use your life to save many. You can be God's instrument to bring many people into the kingdom. Listen, no matter what your position is, you might be saying, I'm not the prince of Egypt. No, but you are a co-worker. You are a classmate. You are a mom. You are a neighbor. Maybe you're a boss. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're in politics. I don't know what. You're in some sort of position in life. Even as simple as being somebody's next door neighbor. You're in a specific position in your life. God chose Joseph to be in that position, but he's chosen you to be in your position. And in your position, through your position, God can reach and save others. And all of us have different positions and different spheres of influence. You're not supposed to have mine and I'm not supposed to have yours. I can't be a counselor like Sarah. But she might not be the one standing up and preaching on a stage like me. I can't work in banking like Diane. Lord knows I can't do that. I certainly can't work in construction. Your house would fall down. I can't be in the corporate world. I mean, I could be, but that's not the position God has me in. God has me in this position. He has you in the position in that school. He has you living next to that neighbor. He has you as the mom, as the dad of those kids. He has you working in that prison. He has you in law enforcement, first responders. Keep the list going. You have a position in life, and God can work through your position to save people. Don't think, listen, don't think you need to be in ministry. Please, you don't want this. 
I used to think I wanted it. Now, I don't really want it, but I'm called to it. I'm compelled to it. Now, don't get me wrong. I do want to be your pastor. Okay, but don't think you need to be in the ministry to save people. Before I was ever on a stage with a microphone, I can't tell you how many souls I won just by being at the taco joint. Just by being loving and forgiving and kind and obedient before people and loving and relating and serving people. You're in a position. Come on, I want you to think about your position right now. Maybe you're saying, I'm in high school. Well, that's your position. And positions change throughout life. And in every season, God wants to use you in your position to save many. To help many. To bless many. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.